the Christian model uh, said to the interviewer, uh, I listened to this online, I wrote down the transcript of little portions of it, but she said, she said to the interviewer, I think that every person has had that feeling that they're not enough. Uh, they're not enough for something, uh, not enough for someone. And she said, and I question that about myself. I question that about myself, about being enough for people, uh, uh, enough for someone, for this industry, uh, for my job, for what I do. And what, she, what she's talking about is the modeling industry or the fashion industry she's talking about, you know, because I said she's a, a Christian model, self-identified Christian, not a model Christian, there's a difference, you know, no, no offense, not to judge, just to be clear. Uh, and, and, and of course, we can all identify with, with these nagging feelings of inadequacy, this, this feeling that we're not worthy, we're not valuable. You know, it, it must be part of the human, it, it just must be part of the human condition, isn't it? If even super skinny models, you know, have this, uh, are plagued with self-doubt, you know, if that person, a model, a, a Christian model, you know, wears clothes for a living, you know, they have self-image problems, it must be part of the human condition. I, I, I remember getting a kind of informal counsel from a very, very wealthy a man in Dallas, Texas, about not being too intimidated to minister effectively to powerful men that have, you know, live in big mansions and and have high rise, you know, office in high rises, corner offices overlook the whole city, and you know, and impressive job titles and owners of companies and things like that. And, he, and this person was talking to me about, and others, about not being too intimidated by them to minister effectively. And said something like this. I don't remember verbatim, but something like this. The key to ministering to these kinds of men is to understand that deep down, they themselves know they're faking it. They're, they're faking it. They're they're, they know they're, they're, they're not, deep down, they're not as impressed with themselves as they want everyone else to be with them. And they, they know they're frauds. They know they're frauds. So go ahead and call them on it. You know, don't be rude. Don't be disrespectful. But let them know that you don't buy the facade. You don't buy the facade, even if you sort of do buy it. <laughs> even if you are intimidated. And I thought, well, well, wouldn't that make me the fraud? You know, the, and so, but turned out not to matter because the Lord did not call me to minister to the rich and powerful. No offense to you, fine folks. <laughs> but what a bit of information, though. You, you mean even millionaires suffer from self-image problems? So you've got Christian models. Uh, and then and and all and J.R. Ewing, big shot, big businessmen types. Back to the interview. The Christian model offers the Christian answer to this universal plague of feelings of inadequacy. And here, here's what she said: It's like you are enough. It's like you are enough, 
because God took his time to create me and put me in this place. At which time the interviewer said, right. And, and it's like you, she says, and it's like you are enough because God took his time to create me and put me in this place. And that's your answer right there. At which point the interviewer said, wow. I said, you, you're enough. You're enough, the Christian model said, because he created you and because you are existing and leave, living and breathing on this planet. Well, that kind of sets the bar a little low, doesn't it? Living and breathing and existing, you know. <laughs> but, but, but in fact, in fact, the Bible certainly does teach that every human being has dignity and worth and value because he has been made in the image of God. It does teach that, right? Apart from physical abilities or despite lack of physical abilities, apart from physical attributes that a you know, beautiful model might have, despite the lack of those attributes, apart from human accomplishments like a businessman might have, or despite the lack of those kinds of accomplishments, you see, yes, every, yes, the Bible does teach that every person has dignity, value, worth, simply because they're made in the image of God. You see something of God in the face of every person you have ever seen, every saint, every sinner. Now, there have been Christians who have taught and, and still teach that the image of God in man was completely lost, just obliterated, just uh, uh, gone uh, because of man's fall into sin. And, and there are people that taught that, you know, that we were made in the image of God, but that's gone now because of sin. And the only way that image can be recovered is through Christ, through what Christ does for us, through faith in Christ. But, I, but that's, a, I, that's a mistake. That's a mistake. Here, and here's how we see it. James, in his, uh, well, just to take one passage, I think we could make a case, broader case, but this is enough, I think. James, in his very convicting passage about the tongue, right, the tongue, uh, or the, the way we use words, our speech, he says, with it, with the tongue, we bless our Lord and our Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. And he says, that's wrong. We shouldn't do that. You know, but, but he says, with the tongue, we curse people who are made in the image of God. So you see, people generally, just people, though they're fallen in sin, are made in God's image of likeness, just like the Genesis says of Adam and Eve. They're made in God's image and likeness. So millionaires, models. Now here's a country western singer. Singing the, 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 the nobody I know. If you're a country western sound uh, fan, you might know them. I don't know, but, and it might be. I don't. This song is no great hit song. It took the it was just a song, just a typical song. Couple inches taller. Here's the song, a uh, part of the song. Couple inches taller, another size smaller, a little curl in my hair. I used to wish I was older. Now I wish I was younger. Back when I didn't have a care. Most of the time, I'm happy with what God gave me. And once in a while, I wish that some miracle would change me. 
But I'm okay with the way God made me. I have my days, but doesn't everybody? It's not always easy for me to believe in myself, but I got to remember I'm always going to be the best. I'm always going to be a better me than anyone else, and God doesn't make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. I admit I'm no exception, but I'm okay with the one God made me. I have my days, but doesn't everybody? It's not always easy for me to believe in myself, but I got to remember, I'm always going to be a better me than anyone else. And God doesn't make mistakes. No, God doesn't make mistakes. Not in you, not me, not anybody. Now, well, not now, but late to the last year, comes a book sharing the same title as the country western song, God Doesn't Make Mistakes. And, and just like all these other things, it's about accepting ourselves the way God made us. It's about the trials and tribulations that inevitably come when someone seeks to please God rather than man. Uh, it's about our worth in the eyes of God. It, it's about, our, it's about uh, taking our sense of worth uh, from God's valuation, not our own. Uh, it's about be- being and becoming the person God made us to be, that God designed us to be, that God has called us to be. <coughs> Excuse me. In other words, you know, it follows the same themes as the Custer and Western singer and the same themes as the Christian model who says what the answer is to her own sense of inadequacy. What, what's different about the book, however, is the specific life context of the author who describes herself as a uh, transgendered Christian. Uh, in this case, uh, let's see, a, uh, a woman who is born into a male body. Anyway, I'm trying to get from one to the other. The, um, and in this case, uh, the author affirms her or his identity as a uh, both a transgender person and a Christian. And the author argues from the Bible. For example, for example, here's an, uh, one example. Christians above all other people should celebrate their own sense of sexual identity when it runs counter to their biological sex, since the Bible doesn't the Bible say. But who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Quoting Romans chapter 9. Now, as Christians, we don't believe in people turning over in their graves, right? <laughs> Until Jesus calls the dead to come forth. But if, if we did, surely the Apostle Paul would be like spinning like a gyroscope, right? To the, 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 like... Uh, the, the idea that his teaching about the sovereignty of God and the salvation of men should be used as justification for a you know, gender dysphoria as something good and right and even holy, something that should be something a part of our calling. Um, and, and there are other biblically-oriented arguments put forward, like, uh, like, um, uh, like the challenge to Christians who are so fond of quoting John 3.16, to please go on and read the rest of the verse and give it equal force in your thinking. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, 
but in order that the world might be saved through him. So in other words, come on, Christians, stop being so judgy and just love people the way Jesus did. Now, I want to guard against something here because I brought up this issue of uh, transgenderism because I don't want anyone to think, because I brought this up, that the thing that you should take away from this sermon or the, you know, or what I'm trying to say, is, is the point of it, is to rail against a, this a, a particular kind of brokenness or particular kind of sexual sin as the worst of all possible sins and or to say to you fine christian folks just look at what i read this week look at how awful it's getting out there those horrible awful people over there aren't we all so very happy we're not like them i you know jesus frowns on religious people making those kinds of hypocritical arguments right and and we seek to please him, not aggravate him. So it's not a, that's not the point of it. That what I'm seeking to bring to your attention today, uh, through a variety of, ex- of examples already given, it's not certain kinds of sins or a certain sin, uh, but to the fact that there is another gospel in the air. There's a dominant false gospel that's in our culture that's in the it's in the air we breathe it's and it is a different gospel from the gospel of jesus christ that alone can save us from our sins it's a it's a gospel that in our day and age is a rival a rival to the true gospel it is pervasive in the world that we live in and it even infects, and this is why I brought up these, some of these examples, it even infects the thinking of Christian people, and it's kind of melded together with the, you know, the teaching of the, of the church. It's made a part of the teaching of the church in, in, many, in, in a lot of places and in a lot of ways. As illustrated by um, you know, a book by a transgendered Christian that I came across, inconsequential probably, no big deal uh, book, uh, as illustrated in just a typical Christian Western song, I mean, uh, Christian Western, country Western song that uh, kind of pulls in, you know, has God in America that, you, you know, that mentions God is some sort of cultural faith, you know, our, our, the, our culture's faith in the gospel. Uh, as illustrated in the life wisdom offered up by a Christian model, Galatians, in, in Galatians, Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there's another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. By which Paul means... There's really not another gospel of the same kind. It's not like there are different varieties of the, of the gospel that can save us, give us eternal life. He says there's only one real and true gospel, but there are counterfeits out there. There are counterfeits that can't save us. They can't give us eternal life. 
And because they're counterfeits, just to complete Paul's thought, because they're counterfeits, they're empty in their results, they should be identified as false, they should be cast out. You know, the person preaching it should be sent away. Sent away. You know, let them be accursed. They have nothing to do with them. And the false gospel, uh, there is a false gospel that has permeated our own generation even to the point of infecting uh, Christian thinking and, and our perception and many Christians' perception of what ministry should be about. You know, Christians have learned to present the true gospel, uh, the biblical gospel, the core Christian message uh, in very organized ways. And it's the same gospel, but we've learned to different ways of presenting it. You know, some of us have learned the Roman road. You know, who here has, has learned the Roman road? You know, anybody use it? Yeah, there's four or five, three or four of you. The Roman road. Well, that... That's a, a very popular outline for sharing the gospel. allows us, if we have a Bible, we can show someone the plan of God's plan of salvation just staying in Romans. You can stay in the one book. You go to this verse, this verse, this verse, this verse. The Roman road. Uh, lots of people have a use and outline developed by the Navigator's Ministry. You know, the four spiritual laws. Anybody use the four spiritual laws? Got one. But the four spiritual laws. Uh, for years, it, you know, it's a different way. But it's very organized, isn't it? Very organized. And you know where you are. For years and years, I've had an outline in my own mind uh, that uh, kind of guides me when I have a chance to tell someone uh, about the gospel. I have a chance to sit down with somebody and I can just present the gospel to them. And, it's, and it goes at four points, you know, God's plan, man's problem, God's solution, man's response. And I have that outline in my mind, you know, so I know where I am. I know what I've said. I know what still is yet to be said. I know the passages that go along with it, you know, the passages justify the points. I go from God, man, God, man. God's plan, man's problem, God's solution, man's response. False gospels usually aren't presented with that kind of clarity. <laughs> They're usually not presented with that kind of organization. But the main points of this dominant false gospel today, uh, I, I'm going to say, and this is what I'll put forward today to you, are just as identifiable, just as identifiable. And just like the true gospel does, it, I, it defines the human problem, the human dilemma, the human condition. Just like the true gospel, it holds out the promise of a good outcome. In other words, it defines salvation. wouldn't use the word salvation, but it defines what the outcome is, what the preferred outcome is. Just like the true gospel, it offers a means of salvation. How does it happen? How does it happen? And it tells us also how to lay hold of it, how to appropriate it for yourself. Which is, what, which is so important because it says, what do we need to do? When Peter preached his sermon at Pentecost was, you know, in the early Acts, they say, brothers, what do we do? You know, that's a, every gospel presentation has to answer that question. What do we do? If I'm buying everything you're saying up to do, what do I do? And, the, and, these false gospel, and the false gospel we're talking about today, it answers that question too. So what's the problem? What's the problem according to today's dominant false gospel? What's the human dilemma that the false gospel addresses? It's this nagging, persistent, 
sense of inadequacy that everyone's feeling and everybody's talking about. That, that feeling of not being enough, of not feeling good about ourselves. Everybody's talking about from super skinny models to millionaires to uh, country western singers to transgendered Christians. You know, the, this unanswered longing to be loved for who I am, uh, maybe pitied for what I've gone through, to be understood, to be accepted, to be validated, to be affirmed. As another very well-known evangelical Christian teacher whose name you would recognize immediately. He says, it is a, he says, call it insecurity, fear of failure, an identity crisis. Most people are driven by an unspoken, often unacknowledged sense of inadequacy. Well, you know, if that's where the sermon starts, you're probably justified suspecting that it's not the true gospel that is going to be preached because the problem that the true gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the authentic gospel, the, the problem that that gospel addresses is no vague sense of existential angst. In fact, it's not therapeutic at all, but it's moral and it's spiritual. The problem, according to the biblical gospel, is that man has sinned against his creator, against God, He's rebelled against God, who's the author of life. He's the giver of every good and perfect gift. And thus, at enmity with God, we are under the sentence of sin and death. It's true of the human race. It's true of every individual member of the human race. It's true of me. It's true of you. It's true of everybody you know. Or so the Bible tells us, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. What's the consequence of that? Romans 6.23 for you Romans rotors, in order you might know it otherwise. Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. You know, every obituary in every newspaper is about how wonderful this person is who's recently passed away, right? It's a, what a wonderful person. So you've got the testimony of, of loved ones who have put in there what, how wonderful this person was. But the fact of that person's death testifies to this fact, they're a sinner. <laughs> how do we know that? They died. <laughs> the wages of sin is death. So, which gospel, which gospel, the one that identifies this sense of angst, I'm not enough, I'm just not good enough. I don't, I, don't, I, don't have, I don't feel good about myself. Or that one or the one that says that we have sinned against God and we're going to die and be separated from Him forever and ever. Which gospel puts its finger on the human dilemma? Which problem would you rather have solved in your own life? Let's assume that each, each of those gospels can deliver. Let's say the dominant gospel, false gospel of our time really can deliver on its promise. It can, can help you feel better about yourself. It can help you feel uh, loved and, and accepted and validated and worthy. Let's say it can do that. There's still the problem of the grave, and it's got nothing for you on that. The reason we have a problem with the grave is because we're a state of enmity with God, with the author of life. 
The true gospel, the good news, offers forgiveness of our sins and the granting of everlasting life. Living forever. Eternal life. Resurrection life. In Ephesians 1. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of His grace. John 5.24 Truly I say to you, whoever, truly, truly I say to you, whoever, Jesus speaking, says, whoever hears My word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life. Has, present possession, right now. Eternal, lasts forever. Can't be lost. He does not come into judgment. What about, what about being a, having rebelled against God and judgment to look forward to? Does not come into judgment. Why not? Our sins were judged at the cross. So if, you, so if anyone's living by this therapeutic gospel, this, I call it, I've called it in other times the gospel of the sovereign self for some reasons we'll see coming up in just a minute. But if you're living by this therapeutic gospel that is dominant in our age and even affects the way Christians talk and minister and preach, you know, don't settle for that short of a ladder, okay? Don't... Uh, Set your sights higher than that. Don't settle for a gospel that if it delivers what it promises, it's just going to make you feel better about yourself. Because there is a true gospel, a real gospel, that offers forgiveness of sins against a holy God and everlasting life, life forever. Under the false gospel, the dominant false gospel of our time, what's the means of salvation? How do you get there? What's the means of salvation? What passes for salvation? It's this. It's self-discovery. It's self-actualization. Salvation, wouldn't use the term, but wholeness, really getting a hold of what life should be about under the false gospel, is, lies in discovering yourself, in finding yourself. I heard a guy on the... On, well, Eric Metaxas. You may, Eric Metaxas, you may have heard of him. He, he said... You know, when I graduated from Yale, a lot of my fellow students, they went off to, you know, went for a year in Europe to find themselves. He said, my parents wanted me to find myself. They said, go find yourself a job. <laughs> but, it, but it's, uh, the, but salvation, you know, the, this, this false gospel of our time, this uh, discovering yourself, and, and you have to hack through, you just have to hack through like, like David Livingstone hacking his way through the jungles of Africa. You have to hack through all of these false selves. You've got false selves that are foisted upon you by the expectations of society and your family, and even false selves foisted on you by your own pathologies, the way you've reacted to certain wounds and hurts in your life. Um, as one man told me, when he had gotten out of jail early to enter a, a, a program, a Christian program, early Christian-oriented program. I don't know anything about it except what he told me. But he, he, was called, he called me on the phone he, and just to tell me that he's, he's doing great, he's gotten in this program, he got out of jail a little early to enter this program. And he, <coughs> and he told me, he said, 
He said, that guy, that guy who was stealing and, and taking drugs and getting arrested and all that, that I, I've learned that that, isn't, that is the real me. That isn't the real me. That isn't the true me. That's a, that was a false me. That, that's not the real me. That's not who I am. That's not who I am. I was thinking, well, that's good because the picture in the paper looks a lot like you. I would have thought of it, if you hadn't have told me that, I'd have thought it was you. <laughs> but it's, it's self-discovery, a self-actualization. Figure out who you are. You know, go look over uh, Facebook's uh, 37 or 78 or whatever, how many genders there are. One of them is bound to be a uniquely you. You know, it is, it find out who you are. Discover maybe a tattoo that maybe a tattoo that's distinctively you. That's just you. Maybe a haircut, something you know, just or figure out something more serious. That one career path that is that is you, that is made for you, that you're made for it, and 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 get into that if it's still open after the tattoo and after the uh, haircut. <laughs> and and when you discover that true self, rest assured that that it's it's going to be good uh, because it'll be the it's going to be the authentic you, the genuine you. And, and be the best you you can be. This is what the country western singer said. I'm always going to be a better me than anyone else. As the transgendered Christian says, uh, God made me the way I am and God doesn't make mistakes. So follow your heart. Discover the authentic you. Be that to the uttermost. Two features uh, of that aspect of the false gospel of our time uh, that sets it apart from the true gospel. For one thing, there's this absolutely pure and blind faith in the false gospel that your true and authentic self is good and it's wonderful and it's beautiful and it's right. As far as I can tell, that is blind faith. Because there's absolutely no reason to think it's true and there's much evidence to the contrary. What if, what if we, when we get down to that true, authentic self, when we peel that onion down far enough, we find at the core not something good and right and beautiful and pure, but something that's marred and broken and harmful to ourselves and others. And the Bible teaches what experience confirms, if we're honest, that we come into the world already broken, already morally broken, already hopelessly selfish, already fully committed to serving ourselves at the expense of others, willing to lie, cheat, steal, worse to get what we want. Who can read the Ten Commandments and come away unscathed? Nobody in this room. As Romans 3.10 says, there is none righteous, not even one. All have sinned and fallen short. And it's that, it's that moral and spiritual fallenness that the true gospel addresses as the problem which the false gospel simply denies. Blind faith in the inherent goodness of the self. And this is how people get to where they're saying, this is the way God made me and God doesn't make mistakes. So the way I am can't be wrong. This is how... This is how people get to calling good evil and evil good. Follow your heart. 
false gospel says. It, won't, it will not steer you wrong. It's your true north. It's, it's going to guide you right every time. Bible's, what a, Bible says, what a terrible idea. <laughs> because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Uh, the, the second aspect of this particular tenet of the false gospel that stands in contrast to the true gospel is that the, the false gospel is basically self-help. You're on your own. You have to discover yourself. You have to fight through all those pesky false selves and weed them out. You have to nurture your true self, be the best you can. You're on your own. And that couldn't be farther afield from the true gospel. Because under the terms of the gospel of Jesus Christ, God does everything. The Father sends the Son. The Son dies for our sins. The Spirit applies the work of Christ to your, to your soul, to your spirit. He causes you to be born again. He indwells you by His Spirit to lead Him, guide Him, to change you. He, you've been placed into the body of Christ. You're sealed for the day of redemption. And under the terms of the Christian gospel, you're basically along for the ride. And what did you bring to it? Just your willingness. Just your willingness to trust. That's all. We're not on our own at all. So what do you want? You want the gospel as basically self-help? Or you want one that you want one where salvation comes from within? Or do you want one that comes from salvation, a real salvation from sin and death that comes from outside yourself to do for you and in you what you could never do for yourself? And finally, under the terms of the false gospel, how does one appropriate the benefits of salvation for yourself? And it's interesting, it seems to me at this point, this is where the false gospel of our time is, is most similar to the true gospel. Because the answer in both cases is, is faith. But there's a crucial difference. There's a distinction that makes all the difference in the world. The, under the terms of the false gospel of our age, that make you feel better about yourself, the way to get there is self-discovery, self-actualization, be the best you can be, follow your heart, that one. That gospel asks you to believe, but it's to ask you to believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. You know what the country western singers say? Sometimes it's hard for me to believe in myself, but I got to do it. That's the way to go. It's a way to get a hold of life. Believe in yourself. Have you, heard, have you seen anything like that in the culture? Have you seen that? Have you seen, has that been the theme of any movies you've seen? Like maybe every Disney princess movie. Has it, have you seen that? Believe in yourself. Have you, have you heard it at school? Boy, volunteering at the school over here. It's pounded, pounded, pounded. Believe in yourself, Johnny. Believe in yourself. You can do it. You're fantastic. You're wonderful. Believe in yourself. The true gospel says something very different, doesn't it? What's Jesus say? John 14. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus says. 
Believe in God. You know, faith, faith is only as good as its object, isn't it? Faith is only as good as the object in which it's placed. If you, if you misplace your faith, put it in the wrong object, you, your, your faith can suffer shipwreck, right, on the shoals of reality, right? You can believe with all your heart that your car's engine will run as well on water as it does on gas. But if you fill the gas tank from the garden hose, your faith in the combustibility of water <laughs> is going to, it won't make a bit of difference, will it? It's not going to work. It doesn't matter how strong your faith is. You're trusting in that pew to hold you up. Your faith is only as good as the pew. So please, please, don't stake eternity on believing in yourself. There is a surer foundation for your faith than that. Why? Because there is a God. There is a God who loves you, who gave His only begotten Son for you. There's a Savior named Jesus. He laid down His life for you. In time and space and history, it really happened. Here's a representation right here. But it really happened. And He did it to save you from the sentence of sin and death. Not to help you feel good about yourself or better about yourself, but to save you from the power of sin, from the sentence of death, to give you life everlasting instead, to give you life forever and ever. So believe in that God and live. Believe in that Jesus and be saved. Uh, Father in heaven and Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for the good news, the good news that you have acted in time and space and history to save people from the sentence of sin and death. Thank you for the depth of your salvation that truly meets us at the point of our greatest need, our real need, and offers a salvation so infinitely greater than merely feeling whole or loved or accepted or better about ourselves. Thank you for loving us and saving us even when we were shaking our little fists at you in disobedience and unbelief. And thank you for the sure hope we have of sharing in the resurrection life of Jesus himself so that all who believe, all who believe will live even if they die and eternally so. Increase faith in every believing heart in this place today. Let the beginnings of saving faith stir in the unbelieving but open to their eternal blessing to the fullness of our joy, and to your everlasting glory. We pray in the powerful, wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.